Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we wrapped up our series, uh, Rob Basham did last week, uh, our Thrive series, and we're shifting gears. This week, we're starting a new series called The Way of the Cross. We're in our Lent season, and Holy Week, Holy week is coming up. Uh, we're we're going to lean into Holy Week. We're going to uh, remember the sufferings of Christ on Good Friday. And of course, we're going to celebrate the, the, the empty tomb. Um, but I want to talk about the way of the cross. And um, my grandfather, he was a missionary in southwest China, and he was uh, serving in Guangxi province. And there's a story my grandfather often told. He, he had a lot of great stories. Uh, one of the stories he told was about a, a village that was sort of way back in this province, uh, pretty isolated. And uh, this village uh, was, was full of idol worshipers or, or people who worshipped uh, evil spirits. And there were two guys in this village who were disillusioned with their spirituality, with this religious approach that was taking place in their village. One day, uh, as my grandfather told, told the story, one day they're walking along the path and they see a piece of paper on the pathway. They pick it up and it was a piece of paper either torn from a New Testament or it was a, a torn from a Bible track and they read a Bible verse that's on this. Uh, they, they don't know it's a Bible verse, but they read, this is what they read, Matthew chapter 16. Um, th- th- they read this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Um, they, they probably saw the cross on the Bible track, and so what they did is they went and cut down some bamboo and fashioned themselves two large bamboo crosses. And they began to carry them wherever they went. They carried them to the markets. They carried them to the fields. When they worked in the fields, they carried them to their home and out of their home, and their neighbors kind of were, this is kind of weird, and they, these, these two guys were ridiculed and made fun of. And, um, and then one day, an itinerant evangelist came to that, that, that village. A, a missionary came and began speaking about Jesus, this Jesus who lived the life that no one could live, a sinless life, and died the death that all of us should have died. He paid our sin debt. And he went to the cross and, uh, and substituted himself in. And now those who want to follow him must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Well, this made perfect sense to these guys. And they were the first two converts in that village uh, to leave idol worship and the worship of spirits and become followers of Jesus. In fact, to this day, there is a significant church in that, that, that village, now a city, uh, there, there in Guangxi province. And those two guys were the first converts and the first leaders in that church. And it's interesting to note that in that story, that their whole journey began really, really with a misunderstanding of what it means to walk in the way of the cross. They had no idea what, they fashioned crosses and carried them. They had no idea what it meant until someone clarified that for them. The way of the cross is often misunderstood in our day as well. Oftentimes we think that, that, that you know, that the God, we embrace this gospel that, you know, if I give my life to God, if I give my life to Christ and I follow him, then and we, sometimes we embrace this, this, this gospel, you know, life goes better with Jesus. Sort of this pragmatic, well, if I'm a follower of God, he'll take care of me and, all, and life will go well. And it's a misunderstanding because sometimes the way of the cross is painful. Sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes life feels unjust, unfair. 
Uh, oftentimes, there's, there's a price to be paid on the way of the cross. And people who start out following Jesus sometimes will step aside. Consider a guy named Charles Templeton. Templeton is an evangelist. He uh, becomes good friends with Billy Graham. 1945, they go out with Youth for Christ to, to Europe just after the war. They're, they're evangelizing in Europe, and hundreds of young people give their lives to Christ. Ten years later, Templeton sees something that, that, that bugs him to the point where he, he eventually becomes an agnostic and eventually will become an atheist. He's led people to Christ, but he becomes an atheist. In, in 1996, he writes a book. It's his memoirs, and it, it, the title of the book is called Farewell to God. How does someone who's following after Jesus, leading other people to Christ, uh, you know, do evangelistic crusades, get to the point where they say farewell to God. They're leading people to Christ, and now they're saying goodbye to Christ. How does that happen? Now, what I want to do is, if you get your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 26 as we start this series in the way of the cross. I want to talk to you about, uh, about, about two guys whose names you know. They're disciples, Judas and Peter. These are two guys who I just want to put, us, put before us. Sometimes we forget this. These two guys had the perfect discipleship experience. Okay? They were face-to-face with Jesus. They got to walk with Jesus. They got to see the look on Jesus' face as he taught. They got to hear the words that Jesus said. They had things explained to them. They got to ask questions. They saw miracles. They saw, they saw blind men uh, get their sight. They saw the deaf uh, hear. They saw lepers healed. Uh, they, they were there in those moments when the Pharisees came with a trick question. And, um, and they were going to test Jesus. And, and Jesus, in the proverbial mic drop, answers and silences them. And the crowd is astonished and amazed at Jesus. These two guys, having this perfect discipleship experience, even they were, they were on a boat one time in a storm, and they saw Jesus stand on the bow of the boat and in the middle of the, of the storm, say, peace be still, and nature obeyed him. In fact, they were there with the disciples and said, who is this guy? that even the wind and the waves obey him. These are two guys that were on the way of the cross. And you, you, if you know the story, you know that Judas betrays Jesus. He actually trades in his relationship with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And you also are probably aware that Peter denies Jesus. How does that happen? It's an important question for you and I to answer because we're on the way of the cross. We're following Jesus. And we want to keep following Jesus. What would cause a guy like Templeton, what would cause close friends of Jesus like Judas and Peter to distance themselves from the Messiah? I want to just share some examples of what that might look like. Uh, Judas, let's begin with him. Uh, Judas has Old Testament expectations of a Messiah. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, He he believes that the Messiah is going to usher in this new uh, sort of reinvigorated golden age that David, King David and King Solomon enjoyed. He, He believes that the Messiah, and by the way, Jesus has all the characteristics of what appears to be the Messiah. He believes that this is going to be this new 
golden age for Israel. They're, politically, they're going to they're have the most power in the region. They're going to have the greatest religious influence. They're going to subdue the nations. And, and the, these 12 guys, and specifically uh, Judas, they believe that, that Jesus is the guy. He's the one who's going to take political power, and, uh, and God is going to reign through Israel. It's going to be great. But even though Jesus seems to have the characteristics of this Messiah that's going to lead Israel into the Golden Age, there's some things that bug Judas about Jesus. First of all, he doesn't hate the Romans. I mean, if you're going to usher in the new Golden Age and you're going to free Israel from this, this oppression that they're under, you've got to get rid of the Romans. And, and Jews hated the Romans, and Jesus doesn't hate the Romans. In fact, he seems to care for them. At one point, he actually heals a Roman centurion's servant. And this bothers Judas. In fact, if you're going to usher in this new golden age and you're going to have the Messiah take the throne there in Israel, you're going to have to work with the religious leaders of the day because you're going to be the strongest religious influence in the region. And Jesus doesn't get along with the religious leaders. In fact, it seems like they're always butting heads. They seem to be in conflict with each other. And, and the disciples would say to Jesus, you know, you're offending them. And Jesus doesn't seem to be all that interested in money. Judas is. He's the, he's the treasurer for the disciples. And he's kind of been skimming off the top along the way in this journey as well. But, you know, if you're going to usher in a new government, if you're going to take over and set up this new golden age, you're going to need money. Uh, you're going to have to raise some, some money in this campaign. I mean, think about it. You know, we've got an election coming up here in a couple of years. There's a lot of money being raised. I know you're really excited about that. But there's this election that's, ha that's happening. The people are going to raise millions. And Jesus just doesn't seem to be interested in money. And this is, this is confounding Judas a bit, but Matthew chapter 26, this is the tipping point. Something happens in Matthew chapter 26 that just sort of turns the corner for Judas and he's gonna trade his relationship in with Jesus. He's gonna leave the way of the cross. Let me read this uh, for us, uh, beginning in uh, verse six of Matthew 26. Page 824 in your, uh, in your pew Bibles. And if you're joining us in the live stream, you can grab your Bibles as well. As I read here, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. This story, by the way, is told in other Gospels, and we're told that that, that alabaster jar was worth a year's wages. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Uh, John's gospel actually tells us that Judas said that. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Well, that prophecy is coming true. Verse 14, then, here's a tipping point. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. 
Judas has been perplexed by Jesus. In fact, most of the disciples have been perplexed by Jesus. And it comes to this point, this woman pours out all this perfume. Uh, they're like, you know, why, why break the big jar of perfume? It was worth it, you know, your, your annual wage. I mean, figure out what you earn a year and kind of put a number on it. That's what it's worth. Why not take that jar, break it, and pour it into smaller jars, and we can sell it, and we can raise money for the poor. Uh, why, not, why not put some, some use to this? And, and so they're criticizing this woman. And then Jesus says something really strange. Stop criticizing her. She's actually anointed me and prepared me for burial. Burial? I mean, Judas has got to be thinking, burial? You're, you're the Messiah. You're going to usher in Israel into the, into the new golden age. You're not going to be buried. You're going to sit on a throne. You're going to rule. You're going to be the Messiah. What are you talking about a funeral for? Burial? And this incident actually becomes a tipping point for Judas in such that he's been, he's been kind of staying close to Jesus because, you know, there's something in it for them as, as Jesus takes, takes power in Israel as, as, they, as they believe it to be. But when this, this event happens, Judas is, is probably wondering, you know, I've, I've wasted my, my last three years of my life and I can't walk away without something. So he goes to the, the leading priest and says, what will you give me? In the moment, he wants to trade in his relationship with Jesus, but he doesn't want to walk away empty-handed. And and it can all be traced to this expectation that Judas has of Jesus. Friends, here's why people walk away from the way of the cross. Jesus disappoints you. You've got expectations of Jesus. You've got expectations of God in your relationship with him. I mean, you're... Your, your expectations were that your, your marriage would be awesome and, and you're struggling. Your expectations that, that God would bring someone to you that you would be able to get married to. Your expectations that God would answer your prayers and you'd be able to have a kid. Your expectations are that God would give you that great job and that great job didn't come. The expectations that you'd be able to overcome that addiction but you're still stuck. And you have all these expectations and you're bringing them to God. And guess what happens is that you, you've bought into this idea that life goes better with Jesus. And when life doesn't go better with Jesus, you get to this tipping point and you're wondering, is this worth it? That's where Judas went. Is it worth it? I expected, I, I thought. And Jesus disappoints. And in Judas' life, that's, it appears, that's why he traded in his friendship with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus disappointed him. And friends, maybe some of our expectations of God will lead us to a place where we will be disappointed with him. Uh, Peter is part of this band of disciples. Uh, Judas goes to talk to the lead priest. Uh, in, in Matthew 26, you, you hear about the Last Supper. Judas is back. He's had his appointment with the, the chief priest saying, hey, what will you give me? Jesus exposes Judas to the rest of the disciples. There's someone who's going to betray me. Tells him to, to leave and do what he was going to plan on doing. The rest of the disciples have no idea what's happening. Last Supper takes place. They're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Chapter 26, verse 31 says, On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter Declared. Now I'm going to shift the lens here from Judas to Peter. 
Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Doesn't have really high intelligence, emotional intelligence, right? He's got all his buddies with him. Even if all these other guys desert you, you can count on me, Jesus. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. You can count on me, Jesus. When the going gets tough, I'm your guy. And Peter has this perceived strength that he possesses. And when Jesus says, you're all going to desert me, Peter thinks, well, they, they may all desert me, but I'm, Jesus, you can, I'll die with you if that's what it takes. And Jesus gives him a warning. And friends, here, here's, here's another reason. First reason people step off the way of the cross. If expectations of God that, that aren't biblical, they're false expectations. And when Jesus disappoints them, they walk away. The second way that people walk away from the way of the cross is they ignore the warnings. The warnings are ignored. Jesus is saying to these guys, you're all going to desert me. Peter, you're going to deny that you even knew me three times. And instead of, I mean, have you noticed as you've read the Bible, Jesus is always right? <laughs> have you noticed that? And these guys, have been, they had the perfect discipleship experience. They've seen Jesus do, do it all. And here's Jesus saying something, and Peter is saying, nope, you're wrong on this one, Jesus. You, you've got, you got a great track record. You know, you got three years of always being right, but here, this, I'm going to draw a line. This is where you're wrong. He ignored the warning. Instead of saying, Jesus, pray for me. I don't want to disown you. He ignored the warning because he believed that while others may fall, it wouldn't happen to them. How many times have you heard that story? I can handle this. Won't happen to me. I can go to that place. I'll be okay. I'm strong enough. I can watch that show. It won't affect me. And we tell ourselves, we, we believe we have this perceived strength that I can handle this, but oftentimes what happens is our areas of greatest strength are exposed as significant weakness. And this is what happens to Peter. And he steps back from Jesus. He disassociates because he ignores the warnings. Now, Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll lean into this in, in, in Holy Week uh, about his, his prayers in, in the Garden. And, um, and, and Jesus is arrested. He's taken before the Sanhedrin. And what I want to do is I want to shift to uh, verse 69 because as Jesus is being insulted, he, he's walking the way of the cross, friends. Remember, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he's talking to us. If anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves. It, it's, it's a path of, it, it's, it's, it's selfless living, humble living. Deny yourselves, take up your cross. The cross is an instrument of death. It's, what, it's where people are executed. If you want to follow Jesus, take, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Jesus is, is modeling this for us. But out in the courtyard, verse 69, it says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. 
don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Why do people distance themselves from Jesus? Why do people exit the way of the cross? Because Jesus disappoints you. Because you ignore the warnings. The, the, the dashboard lights are, are there. They're on. But you know, I, I can handle it. And this one, I want to just kind of just focus in on verse 73. It's this phrase that's spoken to Peter. You must be one of them. Can I just tell you this? I don't like being identified as one of them. I like being one of us. Right? I mean, I don't want to be one of them because one of when you start when people start saying you're one of them, it's like you're weird, you stick out, you're strange, you have different behaviors, you have strange beliefs. We 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 disagree. You're one of them. I don't like being one of them. I like being one of us. I like fitting in. It's a certain pressure that comes on you when you're being identified as one of them. It doesn't take much imagination as you think about the shifts in culture in our country, in our nation, where we become increasingly polarized, where people are pointing fingers at each other saying, you're one of those. You're one of them. That's what Peter is feeling in Matthew chapter 26. And he denies knowing Jesus three times. The rooster crows he weeps bitterly, and this all is a result of the, of the fear of the disapproving crowd. This is why people step away from the way of the cross. Yeah, Jesus disappoints. I thought my kids were supposed to fight. I, mean, I, I poured my life into I prayed with them. I raised them, and, and they're going sideways. I thought this wasn't supposed to happen to me. I... I thought I could handle this. And then there's the pressure that comes on, the fear of the disapproving crowd. And you distance yourself from Jesus. Friends, this, this is why people exit the way of the cross. And if it can happen to two guys who had the perfect discipleship experience, don't for a moment think it couldn't happen to us, to you or to me which means we really need to ask some important questions. We'll put some of these up on the screen. Uh, first one, I, I think, to apply this is, is simply asking, are my expect, expectations in line with the way of the cross? Here's what you could do. You could sit down with a cup of coffee, cup of tea, whatever your you know, favorite beverage, cu cup of water, take a piece of paper, and write out your expectations of God. God, this is what I'm, in my relationship with you, this is what I expect from you. Finish that list, and then place it next to scripture and make sure that your expectations line up with God's promises. To make sure that you haven't unnecessarily adopted a gospel of life goes better with Jesus. Because friends, when life doesn't go better, 
you might be tempted to step away from the way of the cross. Second question I'd ask is this one. Am I ignoring any warnings? Has the Spirit of God been, been, has he been saying to you, uh, careful? Has he been saying, uh, don't go there? That's enough. Has he been talking to you about your speech? Has there been warnings? Have, have the dashboard lights of your soul come on? But you've said to yourself, I can handle it. I got it. I got this. Pay attention to the warnings. Spirit is there to help you stay on the way of the cross. The third question I think we, we should ask ourselves is this. It has to do with the crowd. How important is the approval of the crowd to me? Do I, do I find that I become a social chameleon in settings? Is the fear of the disapproving crowd something that would silence me? I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus, okay? I'm talking about being a person of conviction that even when the pressure's on, you persevere. Because these are two guys that had the perfect discipleship experience and disappointment and ignored warnings and a disapproving crowd caused them to step away. Judas traded in his relationship with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We're like, how could someone do something like that? I mean, think about, think about what people trade their relationship in, uh, with Jesus for. Less than 30 pieces of silver sometimes. That, this journey the way of the cross is one, it, 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 it's difficult. There's a high price to be paid. Sometimes life can feel unjust. Sometimes it can be lonely. There's joy. There's successes. There's celebration. And there's suffering. This was the journey that Jesus walked on. Now, I want to go back to this guy I talked about earlier on, Charles Templeton. Um, Templeton, his friend of Billy Graham. He led evangelistic crusades and then writes his book, Farewell to God. He's an atheist. A guy named Lee Strobel interviewed Templeton when he was in his 80s. Uh, Strobel uh, wrote about this in his book called Case for Faith. He sits down with Templeton, does this interview with him. I want to read a couple paragraphs from Strobel's book that, that, that kind of talk about uh, this, this place that Templeton finds himself in. Uh, Strobel asked the question, how do you assess this Jesus? It seemed like the next logical question, but I wasn't ready for the response it would evoke, Strobel writes. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp, insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down. He spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. 
His ethical sense was unique. He, he was the intrinsically, intrinsically the wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. One could say about him, uh, it's, it's, what, what could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? Strobel says, I was taken aback. You sound like you really care about him. Well, yes, he is the most important thing in my life, came his reply. I... I, I, he stuttered, searching for the right word. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but, when, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited there's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. Oh, but no, he said slowly. He's the most, he stopped and started again. In my view, he declared, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. That's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, he said as his voice began to crack, I miss him. With that, tears flooded his eyes. He turned his head, looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. Friends, you may be here. And you may have distanced yourself from Jesus. You may have stepped away from the way of the cross. But you're here today. Maybe there's something in you would say, I, I, I miss him. Can I just tell you this? Jesus misses you. The way, this, way of the cross is the way of redemption. And it's not too late to re-engage in your friendship with Jesus. Because this is the Christ who loves you so much that he would die for you. He misses you. Let's pray together. So Lord, my sense is in the room, there may be some who have felt the distance. And maybe it's just like Ben's story that we saw where it's just a season of silence. It wasn't his choice. Perhaps there's some here today who it, it has been their choice. And today you're saying, I miss you. Oh Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be those who are close behind you, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you, empower us by your spirit to do that very thing. Hear our hearts as we recommit our lives to you today. We pray this in your name. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.